Anybody here notice that the pace of life seems to be accelerating these days? That what it takes to keep all the plates spinning is more complicated and we have to move faster? Let me ask you this question. How many of us can honestly say that we have a balanced life? One in which we can spin all the plates, so to speak, uh, without letting any drop and maintain a healthy relationship with God and our family. We all have lots of plates. I'm going to ask Ben to hand me these. Thank you, sir. You guys can relate to these. Raising children, laundry, work. One of my favorite grandkids. Ah, Bible reading. These are flying really good, aren't they? Aging parents. Okay, small group, because we want everybody to be in a small group, right, Pastor Josh? Pastor Josh, where'd you go? <laughs> uh, then there's marriage and car maintenance, God forbid, but that help, happens too. And we all like to eat, so somebody's got to do the meal prep, just not me. Then there's health and fitness, there's finances. For those of us that like to play golf or think we can play golf, <laughs> sports, relationships, prayer. Do you get in, the, get in the idea here? Relationship with God, recreation, schooling, just love that, COVID mandates, lawn, lawn maintenance, and I can't throw this one. Dallas Cowboy Games. Yeah, this gets a special place. I'm going to just set it down real gentle now. This piece is like, imagine fine china. So I'm just going to put that down there. But we have lots of plates that we spin, do we not? And I'm sure I didn't name every single one of them. And you could come up with ones that you're spinning yourself. But our goal as Christians is to try to maintain a healthy relationship with God and our family first and foremost. My day consists of waking up each morning, praying, going to the gym, going to work, and I do shower between those, by the way, reading my Bible, daily tasks for my job, build relationships with people in and outside of the church, dinner and time with my wife, throw in there, periodically talk with our adult children, spend time with grandchildren, which I really enjoy doing, meet with guys for spiritual accountability, et cetera, et cetera. I'm getting tired just talking about it. We don't realize it, but others do that know us, that we look something like that guy in the clip when we try to spin too many plates. And we're frantically moving all over the place just to keep those plates spinning. So which plates do you need to put on the shelf to maintain a healthy relationship with God and your family? Or how many plates are going to come crashing down before you realize you can't keep up the pace? I think it's safe to say we live in a culture where people are in a hurry. Don't you agree? We've come to a time that many of us shoulder so many responsibilities, activities, and events that they clutter our lives and they push us in overdrive as we move in the fast lane. We're in such a hurry these days, we'll pay anybody who can help us move faster, quicker, accomplish more in less time so we can be more efficient in keeping all our plates spinning. Did you know the Citicorp became the number one lender in America when they cut in half the number of days that it took to let people know whether or not their loan had been applied? 
Did you know that Des Denny's restaurant experienced this huge explosion in business a few years ago when they had a campaign that said they would serve you lunch in 10 minutes or you would get a free lunch? And they would come out and they would put a timer on your table. Domino's became the number one seller of pizza when it guaranteed to be delivered in 30 minutes. Their motto is not good pizza, it's fast service. Their quote by their own CEO said this, we don't sell pizza, we sell delivery. And if you've ever had Domino's Pizza, you know what they're talking about. <laughs> USA Today had an article about a hospital in Detroit that, that guarantees that emergency room patients will be seen within 20 minutes of their arrival of their treatment, or it's free. So far, Doctors Hospital has delivered since the offer was first made. The article said business has been up 30%. Then we have Pert Plus because, see, we don't have enough time to put shampoo in our hair and conditioner. We got to put it together. We have pay at the pump. We have fast food restaurants, not because it's good food or even cheap food, but because it's fast food. Then we invented the drive-through lane to enable families to eat in vans as nature intended. So why are these businesses and many like them so successful? It's obvious because they're catering to people like you and I who are in a hurry. They are helpers to keep us moving. They keep us moving so we can accomplish more. Have you ever gone to Jimmy John's? I love going to Jimmy John's. I got my number 14 bootlegger. Got it figured all out. I'll take cheese on that. I'll take these chips, drink. And by the time I pay, my order's ready at the end already. They're calling for it. We've got drive-through as already stated. We got pay at the pump, fax machines, ATMs, banking online, shopping online. These last couple of years, Amazon has become a dear friend to me. Wouldn't you have loved to have stock in Amazon when it first started? Just think of that. We are looking to use more efficiently that precious commodity called time. Did you know that in 1967, expert testimony was given to a committee in the U.S. Senate that said technology, labor-saving, time-saving American technology is going to change the way Americans work. These experts said that within 20 years, people of the USA would be doing one of three things. Working on an average of 32 weeks a year, or they'd be working 22 hours a week, or they would retire by the time they were 40 years old. All because we would be saving time from this technology. They said to the United States Senate that the greatest challenge Americans would face in the future would be, what would they do with all the extra time they had on their hands? Now it's 54 years since this testimony was given and let me ask you, is that your primary challenge? What to do with all the time you have left over? I didn't think so. For many of us, if not all, we struggle with this hurry sickness and on a weekly basis, we wrestle with our day planner to fit everything in because we don't have enough time. Does that describe you? Do you have what we call hurry sickness or rushaholism? Let's see, let me give a little test. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to raise your hands for this, but be honest with yourself. When you leave here today, you're gonna go out and you're going to go to your car and you're going to go, okay, where are we going to eat today? Okay. And usually it's on Wanamaker because that's where all the food places are. But you know, there's a lot of stoplights and you know, as quiet as it is on Sunday morning, come lunchtime, 
It's not so quiet. And what you do is you're looking at all the lanes and going, how am I going to get there and beat everybody there to my destination of the restaurant I want to go to? And so what you do is, if you're like me, you look at the car, the model. You even look at the person driving thinking, well, are they going to step on it or are they not? <laughs> Come on, because you want to get there first. Or how about this one? How about this one? You go to Walmart or Sam's Club or Target and you're getting ready to check out. And I honestly do this, I have to admit. And you look at all the checkout lanes, whether it's the self ones or not, and you look and you go, okay, what's the fastest lane? So then I play a game for myself. And guys, I hate to lose. I, I know that's going to be hard for you to believe because I'm so, I'm so calm and everything. But I look and I look at what lane I would be in and I pick this one. And then I admit, when I finish going through, I look to see where I would have been in the other lane. That's when you know you got a problem. <laughs> Hurry is not just a disordered schedule. Hurry is a disordered heart. Then there's this multitasking thing, doing more than one thing at a time. And the car is the favorite place to, for this. You've seen it. You're driving along because I'm sure this is none of you. And here you see people as they're driving, they're eating, they're drinking coffee, they're monitoring the radio, they're shaving, they're applying makeup, they're talking on the car phone, they're making hand gestures all at the same time. A couple days ago on the radio, a woman calls in and she says, I just saw another woman driving her car, putting leg stockings on. How do you do that? It's amazing what we do. We have so much clutter in our lives that we have to have all these gadgets to help save time. But we don't have the time or the patience to read the instructions and figure out how to use them. True story, several years ago, bought a computer desk and hey, I'm a man, I don't need to read no stinking instructions. I pull out the box. I look at the box. I say to my wife, I got this all figured out. Well, don't you need to read it? Nope. It's too much. I mean, it's just all this extra stuff. How hard can this be? I put the desk together just like it looked in, on the box. But for some reason, there were still several parts left over. Isn't that? We just don't have time for that kind of stuff. What I want you to consider this morning is the possibility that your greatest need in life might not be for someone to help you move faster or finish quicker but it's to slow down and push the pause button. A dad comes home from work carrying his briefcase every night. His son notices this trend and finally asks his father, Dad, how come you bring your briefcase home from work every day? The father replies, well, son, it's because I can't get all my work done during the day at the office. The son thinks about it for a moment, and then he says, well, Dad, can't they put you in a slower group? I want to invite you, if only for a moment, to consider slowing down at least long enough to hear the words of Jesus in the passage that I'm going to uh, refer to in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. Let me give you a little background of this. Jesus is urging this group of people, much like us, to take inventory of their life. It's his concern that his listeners are tempted to throw their life away on stuff that won't matter and chase after things that won't last. So... To get his point across to them, he tells a story. And what I'd like to do now is I'd like to retell it in a way I think it might be retold to us today, keeping Jesus' principles in mind. So sit back and listen for story time as I read you this modern-day version of Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. It's a story about a successful guy who is busy building his business and net worth. 
He's consumed by work, a real entrepreneur who puts in 12 to 14 hours a day at the office, as well as working most weekends. And even the times he's really not at work, his mind drifts toward the job or the deal he's working on. He's married, and his wife, who notices his hectic pace, often tries to slow him down and remind him that he's got a wife and a family. But he vaguely notices both. The kids have just about all grown up and are ready to leave home, and she sees him just in passing. What's sad is that the family learned a long time ago that dad is just too busy for them to play catch, read a story, watch a movie, or even get pizza. Who's too busy to get pizza? He always tells them, later, we'll go do it when things settle down. This is one of his favorite phrases, when things settle down. And although he's a bright guy in Jesus' story and successful in business, he never seems to notice that things never settle down. He's always consumed with business and his self-interest. One day, the comptroller comes to him from his company and says to him that the business is booming and he, in large part, is the reason So they want to promote him, give him a bigger salary, stock options, a new office in the penthouse, change his title. The man is ecstatic. He's finally caught the mother load. A couple years of making this kind of money and he'll be sitting on easy street, able to do what he always wanted to do. He can't wait to tell his wife the news. So driving home, he calls her on the phone to tell her he's coming home with a great announcement. He's not one step in the door when he blurts out the promotion. Honey, we'll be set for life. And in two years, we'll be able to retire and buy that summer cottage we've always dreamed of and go to Europe and spend time together like you have always wanted. What was his wife's response? Indifference. She's heard those promises before. They're just words in the wind. That night, she goes off to bed as usual, and he works at the laptop as usual, promising to be up shortly just as a few last details to finish from the office. Well, about three o'clock that morning, the man's wife wakes up and finds he's not in bed again. He must have fallen asleep downstairs working. So she goes down and finds him at the table with his head resting on the modem. She's somewhat annoyed and upset that he would fall asleep doing his work. But when she touches him, he doesn't respond. She knows something's wrong. So she gets to the phone and dials 911, but in her heart, she knows it's too late. The paramedics arrive in minutes and immediately pronounce him dead. He had a massive heart attack. He's been dead for hours. His death is a major story in the financial community. His obituary is in all the big financial papers, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and others. They have a memorial service where the whole community comes out in support. People give him a wonderful eulogy. The accolades were befitting of a successful man. They even constructed a memorial in his honor where they wrote inspiring words, words to try and summarize his life. Entrepreneur, innovator, leader, visionary, pillar, successful. The service finally ends. The people go home and they lower the casket into the ground. That night when it's dark, where no one is around, Unseen and unheard, Jesus says in this story that the angel from the Lord came to the cemetery. Finding this man's memorial, he traces with his finger by the inscription the single word that God chose to summarize the meaning of this man's life. You know what that word was? Fool. You fool, God said. 
Now, you have to ask the question, why did Jesus use such strong language? I want to suggest that Jesus is not engaged in name calling, but in making a tragically accurate diagnosis. That for all his abilities, his accomplishments and acquisitions, this man had forgotten to plan on the future of his own soul. He forgot to consider the possibility that somewhere along the line he might die. He was too busy to think about the course of his life in the world beyond. And God stands amazed at the folly of human beings who will pour so much energy into preparing this light portfolio without ever giving much thought to the future beyond death's doors. So here's the question. Have you planned on the future of your own soul? He neglected to plan for the most obvious and most predictable event of human existence, death. So what other word could Jesus use to describe behavior so irrational as that? He was so busy building up his little kingdom that he had no time for the kingdom of God. So busy at making a living that he didn't even have time to make a life. So busy at investing in the temporal that he was missing the eternal. Two illusions prop up the life of this rich fool in Jesus' story and for many of us. Here's the first illusion. Illusion that someday life will settle down and there'll be time to get around to the things that are really important. Listen, folks, do you know when things will settle down? When you die. And then things settle way down. But until that day comes, it's not likely that life will settle down where all this time will become available for you to get around to the things that matter most like God, family, your friends, preparing for eternity. Jesus was a great example. Jesus was never in a hurry or too busy to show people he loved them, to get away in solitude prayer, to be led by the Spirit and not by his own ambitions. Jesus shows us the difference of being in a hurry and being busy. He took time for people he loved. He spent time in solitude prayer. He was led by the Spirit. Time is something you must carve out and prioritize for the important. Life does not settle. You must choose for it. For some, if you stay on this course you're on, you're going to miss your kids or lose your spouse or watch your health deteriorate. You have to make time to take time. In other words, you need to slow down. Illusion number two, that someday more is going to be enough. The guy in Jesus' story said, when I get bigger barns, then I can take life easy. Unfortunately, he never gained a sense of contentment for the things he had. The Bible says contentment is a learned skill. Like some of us, more doesn't bring contentment, and we're fooled if we think it does. Contentment comes when we appreciate what we have. There was a Peanuts cartoon on Thanksgiving several years ago that I came across where Snoopy realized it could be worse. He could have been the turkey. You know, when you leave here today, you're going to do like many of us do. You're going to go out to go to your car and you're going to look out in the parking lot and you're going to see some cars that you go, man, someday I'd like to own that vehicle and that vehicle or that vehicle. But you say to yourself, you know, it could be worse. And then as you're driving home, you're going through the neighborhoods and you see some houses for sale and you look at those houses and you go, wow, I would love to own a house like that. Maybe someday. But then you think to yourself, it could be worse. 
you go home that night, tonight, and you go to sleep, and then you wake up in the morning, you look over to your spouse, and you say, it could be worse. <laughs> no, 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 you're not going to say that, are you? No, no, you won't do that. Please don't misunderstand. Jesus is not saying in the story, it's bad to be successful or prosperous in business. Scripture shows that it can be a good thing, especially when we use it for others. But there's a lesson that needs to be learned here by people in our society. For all that we acquire and achieve, we need to remember it eventually goes back in the box. And we need to learn contentment with what we have. When I was a child in our home, we would play games, but the ultimate game was Monopoly. And that's what I have here for those of you who can't see it back there. And my brothers and I, three brothers and myself, the four of us, we love playing Monopoly. We would play for hours. I didn't know until a couple years ago that there's actually uh, in the rules a time limit that you can have. What? A time limit? So there was this one rainy day that we pulled out the game and we were all excited. We were so excited that we decided we were going to get money from other games and we were going to stock the game up and we were going to play this because we couldn't go outside and play. So we decided we were going to have the world championship game of Monopoly in the Prinal household. So we gathered all this stuff, set the bank up, got out to play, and we played until only one person was standing with all the property and money. And as I recall, we played over the course of a few days for hours. Someone would get down and the other would help out. There was bribery. I'll lend you this money if you'll clean my room for a day. There was blackmailing. If you don't give me this money, I'll tell dad when you, and you didn't want that to happen. You name it, we just did it to win. You may call this cutthroat, I call it determination. I can remember in this particular occasion that I won the game this time. I conquered everyone and I had most of the money and property. I was king of the heap. And let me tell you, when I win, everybody's going to know it. <laughs> the world champion, or at least in the Prino home, it felt good, at least for a little bit. But here's the lesson I learned and some of us need to learn. When we were all done, we had to pack it up. And you know where it went. Say it with me. All back in the box. That's exactly where it went. I wanted to bronze the board. I was master of the game. But the truth was, none of it was really mine. It all went back into the box for someone else to use on another rainy day. That's the way the game works. Our life comes to an end, and it always comes to an end. All the houses and hotels, the property, railroad, utilities, and all the money, it all goes back in the box. The stuff all goes back in the box. We don't want it to go back in the box, but the game is over. And what we thought we acquired, well, none of it's really ours. It doesn't belong to us. We just used it for a little while, but now it goes to somebody else. That's the way the game works. A businessman is jogging and feels a twinge in his heart. In an instant, it all goes back in the box. A teenage girl is driving down the road and someone doesn't stop at the light. In an instant, it all goes back in the box. You just had a biopsy and the doctor says it's malignant. 
in an instant, it all goes back in the box. Did you know that the stock market runs on the confidence people have in the market? So I asked this question, why do we let the stock market or our economy dictate our emotions and pace of life? Because remember, it all goes back in the box. Jesus says, what is it that matters? What is it that is worth giving your life to? Bill Hybels writes of a man in one of his books that lived on the principle, more will be enough. More money, he turned investments into becoming a billionaire. More fame, he was a filmmaker, a star in Hollywood. More sexual pleasures, he bought them from women. More thrills, he designed and built and flew the fastest plane. More power, he did political favors. Two presidents became pawns for him. Yet he died, drug habit, tumors, rotten black teeth, sunken chest, long, ugly nails, insane. I ask you, if Howard Hughes had one more deal, one more million, one more thrill, would it have been enough? She was envied by women. Her beauty was breathtaking. Men wanted her. She was a movie star. She died alone at her own hands. I ask you, if Marilyn Monroe would have made one more hit movie, dated one more powerful man, would it have been enough? More is never enough. He was a shrewd guy in Jesus' story. He learned how to play the game well, but he forgot this one thing, what many of us forget, that when the game comes to an end, it all goes back in the box. That's exactly what it does. All the stuff we rushed around and accumulated at neck-breaking pace, the toys, the trinkets, the titles, the treasury bonds, the timeshares, it all goes back in the box. And eventually, somebody else will get it because you don't take it with you. There are no U-Hauls that follow us to our next destination. All this rushing and accumulating is a form of denial. We deny we're going to die. The question then that the fool never asked. He never asked that. For all we acquire and achieve, it eventually goes back in the box. Here's what Jesus is attempting to say to you and I, to his audience. We have to take personal inventory and ask what's really important to me, my things or people, the temporal or the eternal, my possessions or my position with God. Now, I don't want to be melodramatic here. But I need to ask you in closing, if today was your day, if this was the day your soul was to be demanded of you, what would God write to summarize your life? Fool or friend? Jesus once said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? I've said it all goes back in the box. That's not entirely accurate. There's one thing that won't go back into the box and it will live forever, and that's your soul. Where your soul lives in the future is based off the decisions and actions that you make in this lifetime now. So don't waste your time on stuff that doesn't matter. Carve out time for what's important. Slow down. Learn to be content with what you have. It's not that bad after all. It could be worse. 
We need to take time for solitude, a time of reflection, seeking God's direction, not ours for our future, just like our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did in the Garden of Gethsemane before he knew he was going to be crucified for our sins. He said this, and I make this pretty much a daily prayer at the end of my prayers, not my will, but yours, Lord, not my will, but yours, Lord. Make time to take time for God, your family, for preparing for eternity. So, I ask my own self this quite often these days. How am I planning for the future of my soul? Two and a half years ago, our sister-in-law, Lisa, passed away of cancer. She was a wonderful young lady, wonderful young lady. Raised six boys, took care of her husband. Uh, she was well-known in her community as a very loving person. Well, I asked my two oldest nephews who shared at her service if I could share a few things that they said at their service and they consented to that. So let me share a few things that my oldest nephew Jacob said. He said, it amazes me how good mom was to us and to everybody. I love this. I saw so much of Jesus in mom. Will people say that of us? I hope so. Then my second oldest nephew, Andrew, said this. Mom was intentional with community and meeting people's needs. She made a point to make time for people around her, to help a friend or family, or to help someone she didn't know but knew needed help. It all goes back in the box. What really matters, folks? What really matters? This is how I want to be remembered by my family and friends. How do you want to be remembered? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, on this Labor Day weekend, we first of all and foremost want to thank you for taking such good care of us. We are so much blessed, so much blessed that we just want to say thank you over and over and over again. As we get to celebrate a holiday, Lord, that a couple hundred years ago came about, Lord, so mankind could live, could work less hours and get paid fair compensation. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you so much for that. We thank you, Lord, that you give us truth to live by. So I pray, Father, that we will slow down, that we will prioritize what is truly important, that we will realize that our relationship with you, Father, with your Son, Jesus Christ, is what's most important, and that our family won't wonder who we are and where we are, but will know us intimately well, Lord. We thank you so much, Lord. Help us as we plan on the future. Help us being led by your spirit, taking time in prayer to realize daily what is most important to us. You're awesome. We love you so much. Bless us, Lord, as you continue to do every single day. In Jesus' name.